All right. Well, welcome back to Money Beyond Borders. Uh, this is our final episode of season one. If you've been following and listening, this is the end of a mindset a series of episodes on how to be mindful about our behavior and how to think about what will become our personal finance toolbox. And so we are going to finally enter the world of personal finance specifically and add a little bit of structure into that. And so this episode, we are actually going to talk about the three financial statements that govern the financial health of any corporation. And we actually argue any personal household. Those of you out there who have a finance background or, you know, who, who have some, you know, accounting background, this will be familiar to you. Uh, for those not, hey, this is a great place to start. Um, we are not going to go into specific details on, you know, the differences between corporate and family household in this episode, but this is the, the encapsulation of everything we've discussed now and the application of the risk, right, of the timing and of the, the mindset to get a grip around your personal finance and really control your life and take ownership of your life. And in all things personal finance and beyond, Ownership of property comes with responsibilities. And those responsibilities are in the form of assets, liabilities, right? You got to show up and clean up, you know, messes that you make and you, you be proactive and try to put in a plan in place, right? For, for things that can go wrong in the future. And so even though you might not be seeking out, right, assets today, and you don't want to be perhaps tied down by ownership of, of property, the responsibility for your own life is unavoidable. And so this episode, we like to get you intuitively familiar with just the basic building blocks of financial statements to empower you to take ownership of your future. In this episode, I'm, we're also going to do a little analogy game, an illustrative analogy with healthcare and your actually per, your physiological health. Preventative care is, is better than any insurance policy you could ever have. And so we're going to be the same way with your personal finances. Preventative care is planning committing to your finances. I've written a blog post on this before, but uh, I like to think of, you know, using financial statements and um, just being aware of the numbers, right? As sort of like stepping on a, a scale, right? So when you step on a scale, it tells you where you are, right? It's a benchmark, you know, it tells you what you weigh. And, um, you know, sometimes there's a sort of a taboo or there's a feeling that you develop internally where you're afraid to step on the scale, right? You're like afraid to to see what it might tell you, or you're afraid to go to the doctor because you're afraid of getting a result that you don't like. Right. So, um, I always just keep in mind, you know, don't be afraid to step on your own, you know, financial scale. Right. Cause you know, when you step on that scale, it, it's a benchmark. Right. And that's basically what we're doing in this episode is we're talking about statements and ways of tracking and, and following through on, you know, your goals and being able to tell where you are right relative to that and where, where you, where you want to go and where you are currently relative to that, that place you want to be. Absolutely. And I think what's really interesting, right, that scale can be in pounds, it can be in kilos, depending if you're in Europe, whether you're in the US, and, and what's healthy, right? What's good for you might be different than, you know, your, your, your neighbor. Absolutely. Uh, your neighbor across the street or your neighbor in a neighboring country. So, but the principles are the same, right? The, the, the act of getting on the scale is universal. And so that's what we hope to take away for you guys here is provide that universal scale that you can put in your bathroom and wake up and step on every morning. You know, we've got three financial statements 
that's traditional um, corporate finance, you know, any accounting course, you'll just, you'll go over the three basic financial statements and we're going to demystify them. And we're actually going to um, make a few notes, little footnotes for those of you or European listeners, because there's quite a, a, a an interesting um, parallel, right? And, and some of the financial statements are actually not that useful for certain households. Uh, usually there's two, but we're going to talk about three because in America, we need three. Most financial households deal with credit. And we'll go into the reasons why you need a third financial statement when you're handling credit card debt um, in a moment. So kicking things off, we're going to start with a cash flow statement. Okay. Another word for another term for cash flow is basically lifestyle choices. Every day, right? You've, there's behaviors that affect your cash position, right? I'm going to the gas station. I'm going to pay gas here. Or I'm going to go buy groceries at this grocery store. I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy every drinks on me tonight, right? These are behaviors and cash is that universal, right? Um, unit of transaction of value for paying those expenses, right? That obligation for that, that value you're exchanging. So, you know, buying everyone drinks, I guess you're trying to make friends. Um, it's a little sad, but Hey, you know, sometimes we've been in that boat buying rounds for everybody in the bar and, you know, or buying groceries. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm trying to, you know, have coupons and save on my cash, right? That's a, a lifestyle choice that affects directly our cash flow right now. Now, I'd like to, I'm going to pair with that a health analogy. And that health analogy is, is like if you're eating fast food, right? Versus a home cooked meal or swimming, right? Working out versus watching another Netflix episode on that awesome binge worthy uh, show. See, and, and so why these behaviors that we do, right? One late night I had, oh crap, I ate two pints of ice cream. Um, that's not going to kill you. That's not going to generate diabetes for you, right? But sufficient amounts of a behavior will lead to certain health problems, right? Just like personal finance, just like the financial behaviors. So there's a nice parallel there. And to a footnote here, but comparison between the United States and the European Union, you know, in capitalist societies, which U.S. is is one of the model capitalist economies in the world, most personal households have extensive use of credit card, right? Credit card debt, and they most of us use credit cards for expenses. And you know, a lot of us were using it for um, reward accruals, right? Hey, we want to max out our miles, right? And, and max out that intro rewards and be able to pay for that vacation or that travel or that, that dream or goal that we have. And so although that's a great tool, it, it increases the complexity of our finances and actually requires us to have an extra financial statement. And so in Europe, there's credit card debt is, is uncommon. It is not as easily accessible as in the United States, right? Most of us here, when you get to college or even in high school, you might get credit card offers and you don't have any background. You maybe you don't have a lot of personal finance. You know, you don't have to have a degree in finance to open up a credit card. Yet credit card interest is, is the leading killer of personal finances. And so it's, it's, it behooves all of us to get educated in how do we manage this debt with these three financial statements. And so because you're spending money that's not yours, you've got to account for that. In Europe, you've got your checking account, 
And that's all you can debit from. So if you don't have the money in your account, you actually can't spend money that you think you may have at the next paycheck or in the future. Um, and, and so that really changes the nature of financial planning um, between US and Europe. So moving on, the changes in health, right? That are a direct result of our lifestyle choices, right? Our physical health, they, there's impacts in long-term, right? Or in the medium term, right? So to can you continue that health analogy, right? That midterm condition that reflects how our individual systems are working, like our muscle tone, even the blood pressure, blood sugar, right? High cholesterol, oh, or low cholesterol. All these things are impacted from our daily choices, right? Our daily lifestyle choices. And eventually, you know, they can least lead to serious conditions. And so the three pints of ice cream are okay one night, right? You had a really bad day at work, something horrible. Maybe you got laid off, you know, you're drinking a little bit, what have you, whatever the, the, the vice that has consumed you temporarily, it has to be temporary because if you continue that behavior, it will lead right to something like liver failure. And when you get to that level, it's hard to imagine drinking, having another drink, but that you now get to a point where the, some of the decisions you've made have accumulated and become irreversible, right? And so changes in health can indicate, right, these, these issues. And so personal finance, there's an analogy, and that's your PNL, right, or your income statement, okay? And so that is the monthly trend of where value is transferring in, right, or out of your wallet. So just because you don't have to pay for something today, though, doesn't mean you shouldn't save for it. Let's make an athlete example here. If you're going to do a marathon, the Boston Marathon, well, you're not going to just do the marathon the day of and hope that you got enough Red Bull, right? And um, your adrenaline, just take a, a shot at adrenaline on the day of the race. You're going to train. You're going to practice. You're going to stretch your limits. And you're going to make mistakes exactly the same thing in personal finance. You're going to save, right? You're going to practice investing a little bit. You might lose a little bit of money, but you're losing money to learn how to make money, right? How to create more opportunity so that when you hit the Boston Marathon, you're not broke both health-wise and bank-wise. And so what I'd like to point out here with the health analogy is now going to personal finance. Well, the PL in the United States for personal finance and, and personal households, it may be different than their cash than a cash flow statement. Whereas in Europe, they're the same. And the reason is, is that the cash flow statement in the United States can be a little bit higher. Like you can actually have a higher cash position than your actual change in your PL, right? Like your income can actually be lower than your cash. And how is that credit cards? If you hold a balance on your credit card, you don't pay it off. That means that you're increasing, right? The expenses without using cash to pay those expenses. And so that's where things get a bit tricky and why in the EU, the P&L and your, their cash flow statements are usually the same. And so you don't have to look at three statements. You can just look at the one because they're one and the same. In the United States, if you use credit cards, you are actually not expending your own cash, right? In your wallet, you're spending cash that is the bank's and you owe them for that and you pay a premium for that if you carry a balance. In socialist countries, 
typically folks save money for their goals, their dreams. And that's basically it. There's not expenses that are gigantic that they need to save for, right? They don't need to have preventative care, so to speak, because big ticket items like healthcare, retirement are taken care of, right? Education, tuition, a lot of these expenses are taken care of. It's just a general trend and behavior that in capitalist economies, folks have to save for these expensive obligations before they can even save for their own goals, right? Those same life goals they may have as their European right neighbor, they can't save for yet because they've got healthcare, childcare, right? Retirement that they have to save for, right? Emergency fund in case of unemployment, right? In socialist countries, there's usually, usually a larger safety net um, for unemployment benefits. And so what happens is that the government does not provide these household financial necessities. And so the individual household has to account for them. And so that's something to keep in mind and to understand also why the financials can be a little bit more complex in the United States than their European neighbors. Calling out that contrast between the U.S. and, and European countries um, is, a, is a good one, actually, right? And, and for those, um, like you mentioned, who may work in finance or work in accounting and you know, are used to three statements, um, you know, th that, that rings true. And it may ring true even for their household, right? They may decide to use um, three statements. Um, I know I personally use two um, just because the, you know, everything is simple and essentially, um, you know, the income statement would line up with the, the statement of cash flows um, just based on the way I do it. Right. And so you don't hold the balance on credit cards. Exactly. I don't hold a balance That's on why. credit cards. And honestly, right. I do. I run the numbers at the end of the month for the previous month. Right. So it's, it's now March. Right. So a few days ago at the beginning of March, I ran the numbers for February. Right. So I pulled the transactions, you know, put them in the spreadsheet and kind of calculated my, my cash flow position. Right. What came in versus what went out. Right. Everything. Right. All revenue coming in and all outflows. Right. And so it's very just a, a simple, you know, uh, set of figures in Excel. Right. But your, your, your point is sound in that it, in the U S it is, it could be different, right. Because of, you know, accrual accounting and, you know, basically having, um, you know, a bill you need to pay right on credit. Right. And, and, and needed to, to pay that down the line at some point, um, that does change the calculus. That is a function of the, marketing you know how credit is a big thing in america having a, a, a strong credit score having you know easy access to credit in the united states it's a double-edged sword and so being cognizant that these you know credit card companies want you to carry balance right that i mean they they don't make money unless folks carry balances that's where they get the you know the interest right the daily average balance whatever method they do to 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 assess interest on those balances it's it is definitely something to be cognizant of, to be aware of, to self-educate, right? And really understand that these are tools and that credit cards should not be something that you use as a, an income, right? It is not an income. It is a highly expensive um, outflow for you. Absolutely. And if you don't, if, if the ability to pay the balance is not there, right? For whatever reason, right? Miss paycheck, laid off, whatever it is. Um, there, it is most, it is most beneficial to negotiate with the vendors, with whoever, you know, cause you don't have the cash to pay. It's better to negotiate. Even if you have the credit card and you can pay is most often the best 
course of action to be proactive and get ahead of it and say, hey, I can't afford this and not resort to credit cards to pay for the expenses that can't be paid because that will catch up very quickly. And so always focus on your income and credit cards are just a tool to help you accumulate rewards. But if you don't have the income to cover the, the credit card expenses, yep, don't be spending yeah. money because it's yeah. not money. And, and as you'll get to here in a minute with the balance sheet, that will obviously negatively affect the balance sheet, right? And, and you can exactly. watch, you know, how the assets and liabilities, you know, kind of up, go up and go down relative to what's happening with cash flow, 100%. right? If, if you've got a bunch of debt and it's starting to build up, and you're you're paying that out of free cash flow that you have, um, then all of a sudden, you know, the balance sheet's looking a little weaker, right? All these financial statements, we got three here. I'm about to, we're about to introduce the balance sheet. And that's your general overall health condition. So, right, that's your long-term, how you doing? You got good bones. Maybe you got genetics, right? On your side, you got great teeth, great hair, what have you, whatever it is. You've got a health condition that you got to maintain. And that's, that's, that's the third pillar of your financial statements, but they're all intertwined. So even though we look at cash flow separate from PL, separate from balance sheet, the three of them, you can't think of, they're not fully independent. There are dependencies between them that are very important to understand. And I think this health analogy is really good because I, I eat ice cream, but I'm, I'm diabetic. You know, like they're, they're, they're not... <laughs> They're dependent one another. Maybe I don't eat the ice cream, right? Or I have to eat a very specific amount of ice cream because I have diabetes, right? Where I've got the insulin shot that offsets that sugar increase, right? And so if you start thinking that, hey, my general health is impacted by my day-to-day -day decisions, if you can understand that concept, you will understand why your cash flows impact your balance statement, your balance sheet. And obviously the intermediate, which is the PL. When you take the cash flow out and you're okay, where is your general income coming into your into your wallet, out of your wallet? The balance sheet is your health condition, right? It's that long-term condition that's a chronic condition, right? It's something that's recurring, it's a persisting state of your physiology, right? And it can it can have impact on your life longevity. It most likely will. And so better lifestyle choices, right? Eating a little bit less ice cream, swimming a little bit more, not too much. You don't want to burn yourself out, but better life choices over time will improve the health of your yourself and build resilience. So you actually get credit with yourself, right? You get bonus. You got a credit score with your body, with your immune system, right? With your lymphatic system, with all the different organs and systems in your body. If you treat them well, you eat right, you rest well, right? And you, you, you exercise, you will build resilience. You will build physiological capital that can protect you and guard you against tough problems, right? Like diabetes, Alzheimer's, obesity, which are conditions that are very difficult to reverse, if not are irreversible. And so that balance sheet, right? It's not something that you can fix overnight, right? That health condition. If you have obesity, you got a long road ahead of you. If you've got diabetes, right? There's some life altering conditions physiologically, as well as financially, that will change your life. And so in the financial aspect of your health, your balance sheet, it's the year over year progress, right? Or decline of your overall general condition. Net worth, I don't like that term. I use net wealth. 
Reason why is because I've been in that boat where net worth can get conflated with self-worth. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So your balance sheet is the overall accumulation, right, of that value. And so, you know, your, your self-worth is not tied to your net worth. And I think that's very critical, right? Just because you have diabetes doesn't mean you're a bad person. Just like if you're poor on the balance sheet doesn't mean you're a bad person either. And so this is very critical, and that's why I use this health analogy, because balance sheet is a tool, just like your health is a tool, right? Diabetes sucks, right? I'm just using that as an example, but you've got to manage the insulin levels in your body. It's very taxing. It's very expensive condition to maintain and to manage. And my heart goes out to those who have it, because sometimes there's genetics that play a part in, in diabetes. But there are things you can control in life, and there are things you cannot and it behooves us to discern between the two. And so in your balance sheet, you're going to have liabilities, right? And you're going to have assets. And you're going to have things that you just can't control, right? You got to eat. You got to sleep. You got to wake up somewhere, right? And you got to have a roof over your head someplace. And you got to maintain that income to pay for those things. And you got to pay for the doctor. Right? You got to pay for gas in your vehicle, right? If that's required to, to live and, and move and and. and have a decent life. And so whatever that means for you, there's a package of assets and liabilities. And you are both an asset and a liability. Ownership of your life brings with it a whole set of assets and liabilities. That's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something to just acknowledge, right? There's nothing good or bad about it. So typically though, if you're trying to decide what is an asset versus a liability, an asset is typically something that puts money in your pocket and increases in value over time. That's my personal definition. Assets can depreciate in value, but that's that's like an asset you want to have. And a liability does the exact opposite. It takes money out of your pocket and hopefully it decreases in value, but sometimes the liabilities can increase in value where you're actually owing more and more and more money over time. And so uh, to do a litmus test, right? If you're ever in a decision, right, that you have to make personal finance or otherwise, one is usually a lot easier to acquire than the other in personal finance between asset and liability. It's much easier to acquire a liability than it is to acquire an asset. That's a good indicator that, hey, let me think about this twice before I get into whatever this credit card offer is, whatever this great limited time purchase agreement or installment loan or what have you is easy usually indicates something that has long-term impact and effect, right? And it's not good for you. So that's just like an overarching personal finance, right? Carrot. To compare the US versus the EU on the balance sheet, one of the leading causes of bankrupting debt in the US is medical debt. So medical bills. The cost of healthcare in the US is so indiscriminately exorbitant for folks, both insured and uninsured, that in the United States, medical debt on your credit cards is, is a leading cause of bankruptcy. And so folks are also able to access these credit agreements and loans without income verification and can use debt to help them get out of what they think is trouble, but they can get into more, even more trouble, taking out loans, and investing in, in, in securities is definitely something that we, we, we would recommend you think twice about. 
um, or lending even money to a family member, right? Lending money to a family member completely offline, unstructured, without contracts, anything. We're not cold. We care, right, that we have family suffering. But usually there's an underlying, right, health condition that's causing the need for money to be lent between family members. And that should be carefully assessed before any money, any exchange of money happens. And most often, money is not the answer. There's another answer, right? Um, that can be more helpful and actually solve the underlying problems. Uh, so on that note, um, we wanted to actually transition and give some examples, okay? We've just defined all the three financial statements, right? The pillars of what govern finance, right? In the corporate and personal household finances. And we'd like to provide some examples so that we can have a little bit of fun and, and start working, right? Our, our mindset so that we can break down any life event that happens in our lives into very quick financial health impact, right? Just like you'd say, hey, if I work out, I'm feeling sore. I got that lactic acid in my muscles, right? Or I'm tired or I'm, you know, I had, I, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling the good pain, right? Of working out and improving my financial or my physiological health, you can do the same thing with your finances. And so let's do some of these examples, right? Let's work out. We're going to pump some iron, lift some financial weights here. So first example off the bat is taking out a loan to pay for a house. So some of us out there are saving up for a down payment for a home, right? They'd like to own at least in the future, maybe not right now, but they're saving up and they'd like to be a homeowner one day and own their house. And so in order to do that, most folks need a down payment. They're not going to buy a house cash, right? Unless you inherit, you know, millions of dollars from some uncle you didn't even know existed or you won the lottery. Most of us don't have cash lying around to go buy a house cash, right? A um, few hundred thousand dollars typically, like you, it's expensive to buy a house. But luckily we have loans, right? We have access to loans and credit. So this is one of the times where credit is helpful for us. And we only have to save a portion of the full value to buy the house. And so rattling off kind of the effects on our three financial statements from buying a home with a loan, the act of buying a house increases our balance sheet, right? The house has value, maybe more or less than what you paid for it, but it has value. And so now you are taking ownership of it. Therefore, you can put it on your balance sheet because you own that house. And by taking ownership of the house, your balance sheet goes up. And on top of that, you're putting a down payment towards the value of the house, right? So when you buy the house, you put a down payment, right? The loan mortgage lender usually requires you to put a down payment. They want some skin in the game, as they say. And so that is part of the value of the home and part of why your balance sheet is going up a bit. Now, the loan, the mortgage, that's a liability. And it's usually a pretty big liability. And so when you do that, your balance sheet goes down because you're adding a liability that offsets the asset you just bought, which is the house, right? And so the difference between the house and loan, that's how much equity you control. You can think of that as how much ownership you have of the house you're buying, the higher your, your net wealth is, right? For that specific piece of property. Now, what you can do to help, I'll go continue with the liabilities. So the loan payments on that loan, right? Each time you make a loan payment, a, 
A part of that loan payment goes to paying down your principal. So that's paying down the liability. So your balance sheet's going up, right? Because you've lowered the thing that's weighing you down, right? That heavy weight, that loan, a little bit of it gets a little bit smaller, right? You're taking off the two and a half pound, right? Off, the, off your bench. So it's getting a little easier to pick up. But a portion, portion of that loan payment goes to paying interest. And we won't go into like what ratio and all that, that's specific details and that's okay. Just know that when you first take out a mortgage, typically you pay way more interest on your loan payment than you're paying that liability. So you're, as you're lifting those weights, you're not really noticing, right? The weight's getting lower that much in the early part of a mortgage. Near the end, you can have your granny dumbbells out because you paid most of that principal off. But these loan payments, Portion goes to interest, portion goes to paying down, right? The liability of the loan. When you pay the interest, that's just cash flow, right? That is money coming in. That's your PL going down. You don't get anything for it, but that's the price you're paying. That's like renting, right? The, this money that you had to get to buy the house. And so someone, you know, the bank's got to get money for that. They got to get paid for giving you the money you needed to buy the house. And so you pay them for that, right? It's kind of like a tip, huge tip, but. That's how interest works. And the cash flow goes down, right? Because the day that you actually withdraw money to pay, usually there's like a grace period, you can pay the mortgage payment. That's when the cash actually leaves your account and enters the bank, right? And, and pays down the loan. Rent out the house, a portion of the house, maybe a bedroom, maybe a basement, maybe, you know, renovate the garage, right? I've even seen some creative, hey, you can park in my back, you know, my driveway. Okay, so there's a way to actually rent and I recommend, you know, conforming to laws and regulation wherever you guys are at license, all that. I don't know any of that. I'm not an attorney. Disclaimer, all that jazz. Do your do your research, figure it out. But you can rent a portion of this asset, which is your house and actually increase cash flow and income. So instead of you having to work so hard right at work or hustling, whatever you're doing, you know, self-employed, what have you you can actually make the asset work for you. So when the rent comes in, when you know, check, automated direct deposit, what have you, auto pay, boom, cash flow. That cash flow and that PL can help offset the loan payments. So now it's becoming easier for you to lift weights, right? Because you got a spotter. That spotter's your tenant. And so it's nice to have really strong, you know, spotters, right? When you're when you're lifting a lot of weight. Because if you drop the weight, I mean, you could hurt yourself. And so when you have a strong spotter, a strong tenant, right? Strong tenant, in this case would be, you know, financially sound and healthy. They can pick up that weight and you can rely on them to help you spot your bar when you're lifting those weights. One interesting property of the house that you bought typically is that home values increase over time. And so your balance sheet goes up for free, just owning the house. Make sure, you know, things don't break, right? Clean things, fix things. But overall, the house is going to increase in value. And so for me, that's an asset I want to have. It's not deep lowering in value over time. It's increasing, whether you do anything or not with it. Multiplying your initial investment, right? And so that example is one and done. Another very interesting example that most of us have come across with and interacted with is taking it out alone to buy a car. So when you buy a car, there's an intrinsic value to the vehicle. Right. And so your balance sheet goes up. The car one is actually my favorite um, just because it can go so many different ways. Right. But but typically, you know, let's say someone goes to the, to the car lot. Right. And they're buying a let's say it's a brand new car. 
right? We'll, we'll say for, for argument's sake that you're purchasing it exactly at fair market value, right? So the loan and everything, it, it just lines up one-to-one with the actual fair market value of the car. So, so we'll just say all things being equal, the asset is equal to the liability in this standpoint. What typically happens is shortly after, literally as soon as you leave the car lot, the value of that asset has gone down, right? Your liability hasn't changed, right? Until you make that, that first payment, second payment, third payment, et cetera. But almost immediately, that car is losing value, right? And, and, and even if you look out a year or two, which is, which is a better uh, way of, of describing this and, and, and bringing this point home, is that you look a year or two out and that, that car has already dropped considerably in value. Now, you may say it, it depends on the car, and it certainly does, right? Uh, for example, a Mercedes off the lot will lose a lot more in the first two, three years than, you know, let's say a, a Toyota 4Runner, right? Um, I'm hoping that's, that's accurate, um, but just my own knowledge of the car market um, tells me that that's, that's true, right? A 4Runner, uh, on average, holds their value exceptionally well, right? A Mercedes, not so much. You can, you can buy a um, a few year old Mercedes for, you know, several thousand, if not tens of thousands of dollars less than what it was if you purchased it on the lot, right? So all that to say, um, it obviously depends on the car, but let's say just you buy the car right at the lot, asset equals the liability. The problem is as the value is going down and as you're paying down the loan, you know, there, there's some math that happens there, right? So um, ideally you're, you don't end up in a position where you're you're negative, you know, you're negative on the car, right? You're upside down, they call it, where you owe more than the car's worth, right? And again, that that's going to happen um, almost immediately for a lot of these new cars. Uh, let's say if you buy an older car, um, you know, you're fortunate you don't have a lot of big, uh, you know, issues that you have to to pay, you know, you know, pay to fix it out of cash, right? Um, the the value won't drop as precipitously as it will leaving the lot. Um, and so the change in you paying down a loan for a used car, right, and the value decrease, they're sort of, let's say for argument's sake, they're sort of in line, right? You buy, let's say it's a $10,000 used car, um, you, you take out a loan on it, the value of that car is not going to go down as quickly as a car leaving the lot. Um, and, and ideally, you're paying down a loan um, you know, fairly quickly, right? Hopefully it's a, it's a shorter term loan. It's not, you know, out to six or seven years, but, um, you know, the, the change in getting the equity in the car and its value also going down are hopefully somewhat in line. But again, the math gets interesting when, you know, the newer, the, the more new version of a car you buy, right? The newer it is, um, it, it can be interesting. And, and that's why I use sort of the, the Mercedes as an example versus, you know, something that's a lot more affordable because the, the, the drop in value may not be as steep, right? And so maybe for a while you're, um, you're paying down the loan, um, you know, at as fast or even faster than the rate at which the car is going down in value. Yeah. And what happens here, Brad, is it's interesting because you're basically, you're racing. You're racing. That's the exactly right. The value of the car. And you're playing this game where, shoot. I got to pay down the loan faster than the car is lowering in value. It's a pretty stressful game if you're thinking about it really hard because as opposed to the, the house example, right? Buying a house with a loan where the value of the house or the underlying asset is growing with time. So every time you make a mortgage payment, well, the house 
is increasing value, whether or not you pay your mortgage payment, right? So it's growing. With time, you're getting richer. When you buy a car, every payment you make is not making you richer. Well, It's making you less poor. And I think it's a very interesting statement. Does less poor mean more rich? This is a position that a lot of uh, Americans get themselves in, which is that negative equity I described, right? Where your loan is greater than the value, the fair market value of the car. What right. they'll do is they'll, they'll turn that loan and they'll just go ahead and upgrade into another car, yeah. right? What that does is, and, and this is, it's great that we talked about, you know, the financial statements, because what they're doing is they're, they're increasing slowly over time, right? The, the liability, right? On the balance sheet you're rolling negative equity into the next car purchase, into the next car purchase, into the next car purchase, right? So you're getting itchy and every three years you're buying a new car and that negative equity just keeps rolling into the next car purchase, right? I've seen that. I've seen this happen personally with friends and, and, you know, you've seen it, I'm sure as well, right? It's, it's sort of everywhere. Um, yes. and, and it's, it's just a common practice, Absolutely. but it's a good example because the more you, you kind of kick the can down the road, so to speak, the more you're you're denting your balance sheet, right? You're denting that that financial health, and over time, it kind of erodes at you a little bit. Take out a loan to buy a car. Take out a loan to buy a smartphone. Same exact behavior as buying a car with a loan. The moment you buy that smartphone, it's losing value, right? Oh, I dropped it. Or I scuffed it. Maybe not on the first day. Maybe you did. Maybe you dropped it in the toilet. Your dog ate the phone. I don't know. But if you buy a take a loan out to buy a smartphone. Right. There's some plans out there. Hey, 30 bucks a month, 40, whatever it is, instead of paying, hey, you know, $1,500, right? Pay either pay me the cash you would use to pay for a car, right? Or pay me monthly. But then you've got these upgrade programs. And it's exactly like trading up your car when you have financing on the vehicle and you get into this negative equity situation that Brad's describing, where you actually have more liability than you have the value of the asset. Now, Right, your oh, the, the liability is much stronger than the value of the asset, and so what's happening here is you're getting further and further in debt. You're eating more and more pizza on Friday nights, and and worse and worse ice cream, right? And you're actually decreasing your overall health over time. These are schemes, right? And and you can choose to identify them and educate yourself and identify the schemes and prevent yourself from falling into them, or you can subscribe to their pay- to payment plans, right? And these installment loans. And as long as you're aware of the consequences of your actions, right? The impact of getting into these seemingly great deals, you're going to be all right. And they exist for a reason and they can help you out. If you need cash flow and you want to do monthly installments, what have you, we're not completely writing these programs off. It's just a self-awareness, right? This mindset, this mindfulness of the decisions we take when we're being sold constantly every day from every direction. We're going to run a little bit quick through the last examples. Uh, Getting a stable job. I think this is a really interesting example. Getting a stable job. How does that impact your three financial statements? First off, well, that salary, right? That base salary, that consistent paycheck, right? Or the hours, right? That you're putting in and you're getting that hourly rate. It it increases your P&L. Right? You're using yourself to generate income. And so the PLL goes up every time payday comes around. Yay. Some cash flow go up. Be a little careful because technically the cash flow doesn't match your income, right? Because your gross income is not going to match what you get from your paycheck. Why? Well, you got deductions. You've got things that are withheld from your paycheck. 
So even though your gross income might be X, right? Well, you've got withholdings. Your employer, right, or the 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 client is withholding some of the the expenses for certain contingencies or what have you, right? So if you're self-employed, right, you, you have your own withholdings that you you make yourself, or if you have W two, right, you're an employee. Those withholdings are done for you. So you have this income, this net cash that comes in, and that net cash is what you do to plan the rest of your financial life and budgeting, right? And allocating things and savings, investing, so forth. So your net income decreases because, well, hold on, we're withholding taxes, okay? We're withholding social security, right? We're withholding insurance, health insurance premiums. We're withholding so many items that actually your income from salary may, is effectively lower than the gross. Um, your savings. So what do you do with that income? Right? You can redirect it and put it into savings, increase your balance sheet. You can increase your, your investing. Right, If you've got surplus, if you're able to budget in that investing and savings, and so your balance sheet can go up. Moving on, taking out a loan to go to school. Many Americans have taken out loans, student loans to go to college. A uh, slew of reasons why we take out loans for, for going to school. Uh, one of which should not be ignored is the pressure to go to college, the pressure that you need a degree to have a highly successful career and a, and, and a fulfilling future. We won't go into too much discussion on whether that is a true statement and how true that is. And, you know, if, if the American dream is dead, that's not what this is about. But it does beg to argue it's worth the debate to go over what does the financial impact of going to college and paying for college with loans due to your overall financial health. You're increasing your knowledge, you're increasing arguably your skills, but you don't immediately when you buy that degree with the loans have the job that you're hoping to get. You have to still go get the job. And there's usually, right, there's risk there. You're not guaranteed income for paying for that degree. So there's no financial effect really there. But you bought it, so you got a loan, and that brings down your balance sheet. So right out of the gate, before you even started going to school, to class, your balance sheet went down. And the loan payments you have, if you can defer those payments, the mm -hmm. balance sheet goes up with the principal that you're paying, but it also is your P&L is going down, your cash flow is going down, and you're paying that interest as well. And so what's happening here is lowering the liability of the student loan because mm -hmm. part of your loan payment is going to lower that liability, but part of it's going to interest. And so yeah. if, if you defer payments, you're actually increasing the interest overall you're going to pay in the future so that you can have cash today. Most of us that are in college are cash poor. And so as these balances accrue over time and we're not making payments or we're, we're making less than the minimums or what have you, once you finally get the degree, then the real work of finding a job begins. And so it's a race against time to get that job so you can begin paying the liabilities that you accrue to earn that degree with no guarantee that you're going to find a job that can pay for those loans. And Nick, if I may here, I think it's worth noting, um, you know, obviously a lot has been said in the, in the public domain about student loans, the sizes of balance and so forth. I think it's worth noting too that, you know, with respect to your financial statements, the amount of the loan is going to be a, a critical factor 
Um, so the amounts of the loan and your income are, are going to be critical factors when it comes to knowing how, what the impact will be on your financial statements. For example, uh, let's say you take out um, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars for a law degree, right? Um, typically not advisable, right? But it, if, you, if you end up with you know, multiple six-figure debt um, you know, for an advanced degree, however, your income doesn't support a payment that will work down the interest fast enough to where that balance is not, is, is not growing. So put another way, um, the balance will grow at, at, a, at a high enough rate where you're actually not attacking the principal, right? And so the interesting thing with, with student loans, you know, for those unfortunate, uh, you know, the unfortunate minority of those that are carrying the student loan balances is, you know, if you have too high of a loan balance, you may not even be hitting principal, right? And so over time, your, your, ba your balance sheet is, is just in, is in shambles, right? And so unless you figure out a way to, you know, raise income and, and, and expand that shovel, so to speak, um, to attack that debt, um, you may not be able to imp improve that balance sheet. Income and, and, and size of the debt in relation to, um, you know, a student loan is, is a critical factor, um, you know, and it's, and it's a problem, you know, obviously afflicting, um, you know, quite a, quite a number of people. We've been talking about health analogy, right? And so all these financial statements, just like the health condition of an individual, when you go to the doctor, your doctor's checking in on you saying, hey, how are you doing blood pressure, things like that, prescriptions, everything, if, you know, a little high blood pressure, what have you, or hey, Nick, you just, just work out more, less podcasting, more, you know, swimming, what, whatever the doc says. I can choose to ignore it, right? I can choose to support it. But regardless, my behavior is going to impact my future ability to get access to credit. And so in this particular case, right, we're talking about health. And so if I want to cl climb Mount Everest, I better be in damn good shape. I could die if I'm not in good shape. And so I'm going to start hiking, right? I'm going to start eating well, uh, practicing, you know, maybe low oxygen environment, workouts, like HIIT you know, or high intensity interval training. What, what Pick your fad for getting the body adapted to the conditions, the extreme conditions of that type of climb. Same exact thing with the personal finances. If you start off eating junk food and creating these large liabilities, right, where you can't pay for it, these student loans in particular, if they become non-viable where you can't, there's no way you're going to pay them off. Like Brad was saying, when you decide, hey, you know what? I want to buy a house. Sorry, doc. Can't do it. When you want to buy a car at a lower interest rate, maybe for a loan. Sorry, doc. Can't afford it. So the decisions we make early on in life do, in fact, come and impact us. They, they are seeds that we plant. Whether or not we want to plant them, we are planting them with every decision we make. And when you take out a student loan and the, the numbers don't work, right? You go through your risk framework and you figure out, actually, this doesn't work. The timing, the risk, I don't know if I'm going to get that big job afterwards. You got to develop that internal critic that is skeptical and realistic. You got to find that balance. Everyone's got their own risk framework to determine, right? But absolutely, the decisions we make today impact our future options. And there are many individuals today, many households today that are finding it very difficult to own their home, 
and who may be renters for much longer than they had ever anticipated and dreamed of due to the student loans that they took on when they were younger. And this is not to shame anyone who has student loans. I want to be very clear that student loans should not be ashamed of. Okay. If you have student loans, it's okay. But being aware of the condition, the impact it has on your financial condition, that's the courage. That's the stepping on the scale and saying, okay, I don't think this is great. Let's get on the scale. When you're on the scale and you're cracking the glass with the weight of those student loans, you can cry. But now you're looking at something that's the truth. And now that's the first step towards making a better decision moving forward and getting off of that scale and being able to go run, being able to lift those weights. When you make decisions in the present, they will affect your future, whether it's personal finance, whether it's health, whatever it is, decisions now affect what happens down the road, right? And, and to your point, you know, a, a lot of things aren't irreversible, right? You head down a path, maybe you start an addiction or something, uh, you know, you need to work back from that, right? I, I, that's a very human thing. Yeah. Um, and, and it's very, this is very much the case with finance, right? With personal finance, particularly, is that's why we look at these statements. That's why you have to step on that financial scale. If you don't, you don't know where you are, right? It's the first step, right? In correcting finance, you know, a financial mistake, or, or maybe you, you didn't feel like you had a mistake. Maybe you didn't make a mistake, right? But you have a goal now, right? Let, let's say you step on the scale and you're like, okay, this isn't too bad. Um, now I see what the potential is, right? Maybe you had done a couple of things. You didn't even really notice. And, you know, he had paid down some debt quickly. Maybe it's from a stimulus check. And you're like, you know, I want to put this toward debt. I know a lot of Americans are doing that right now. In fact, they're, they're paying down credit card debt at a record rate right now right? Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. And so now, now all of a sudden, without even knowing what the, you know, these, these fancy financial statements mean, you've already been, you've already been improving your financial condition, right? And so right. you see that, that scale, right? That number and you're like, wait a minute, that, I can keep going with this. Wouldn't it be nice to not only improve your condition today by paying off that credit card debt, but then improve your condition for tomorrow and the next day and reach goals that you, you didn't even think were possible potentially. And so the only way to be able to get there is to know where you stand today. And that's what the scale's for. That's what this mindset, this is what this entire podcast is about, is getting the right frame of reference in your mind, the mindset, to be able to discern good decisions from not as good decisions, right? There's no right or wrong. There's just better decisions and not as good decisions. Absolutely. And we can find ourselves in pretty shit, you know, up shit creek pretty far, right? And the water's rising and there's nothing to be ashamed of that. There's nothing to be ashamed of, but it's not an excuse to not look at the scale. And so the courage to look at the scale, the courage to track, to look at this, to break down your life into these, you know, these markers and think about your finances differently. That's taking ownership of your life. And so before we wrap up this episode and close out this season, we'd like to provide a tool, a tracker, a financial spreadsheet tool that you can use. It's a Google Sheet where you can input your transactions. You can actually start tracking and seeing how your decisions are impacting your long-term financial condition. So there's only the income, right? The P&L and the balance sheet, but you can get, you get to see a little graph of your cash flow. 